0: Hey everybody, welcome to a special edition bonus episode of Yes Have Some Podcast. We in just a few minutes are going to be having on the line with us Kim Dawson and Bobby Herbick, the producers and writer of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990. This is a movie that we all hold near and dear to our hearts. Abby, I am excited.
1: Oh yeah, this is big time stuff. Um yeah. Jake, how are you feeling? <laughs> also, this is
0: I'm not pretty of, good. This is not one <laughs> of those this is Isn't not one it? of those things where like we already did the interview. We're like playing it coy. We haven't done it yet. Yes.
1: Yeah, so these like, are our I mean, honest feelings. Like Abby we,
0: said it's big time stuff. So. It's big
1: time. I mean, I just put the movie on and I read a really long article, Craig, which you sent to me Um, that kind of details the uh I don't know what the website is. You should probably give him a shout-out. No
0: way. No, not do don't that. do it.
1: Just know that the uh the backstory of this whole production is very interesting and uh like the Henson. Uh, involvement like that is—it's something that I found very interesting and it yeah, enriched my Henson experience. The huh? Henson
0: involvement, huh? The Henson
1: involvement. Having
0: reciting facts. No,
1: I'm not. I just <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's interesting though because he was a passionate guy and he took on the project while it was like not really. Hey, but a lot of people. Spoilers. Didn't in it, we let I our that guests
0: talk about it. All right, uh, or
1: I could. Do you, what do you guys think? Let's have them vote. Jake. What is yeah. this,
0: what is what is Ninja Turtles 1990? What does that movie mean to you? I mean, it's something it's something we grew up with, man. And I, I remember I, I've told the story before about uh, about how I acted when Raphael says, damn, when oh, I was yeah. when I was a little kid thinking he was going to get in trouble. I, I love it, man. <laughs> I want to ask them about that. If that was in the original draft, maybe it was like even worse. Maybe he was like, motherfucker,
1: <laughs>
0: like um, um,
1: from like spending the time inside those suits, how hot and heavy they were. I bet they were saying that.
0: Yeah, I bet. I mean, the stories that you read about them just like passing out in the suits and there was one funny uh, anecdote in that article about the uh, they were like near a an airport and the radio frequencies were causing the mechanical functionality of the suits. To like screw up. Go
1: berserk, yeah. So,
0: like, the heads would just start spinning <laughs> and like the eyes would go dead because an airplane went by. I was like, that seems like a fabricated story, but hopefully we'll find out.
1: I like the tidbit <laughs> that on set the uh, actors inside the suits would just start screaming, Remove the head! Remove the head! And then, like, have to get their
0: Well, that's like uh, yeah. Anthony Daniels in C3PO. He always talks about how like mm-hmm. the, the claustrophobia you go through.
1: And like Dan Aykroyd would remove the chair.
0: Also, funny line in Ninja Turtles,
1: mm-hmm. you're a claustrophobic. <laughs>
0: love it Uh, that's the line that's what well there's more too I know Kim uh, Bobby I mean it sounds like you guys are you got big plans for this 30th anniversary I know you got the Instagram account going Uh, we want to cover the whole story but why don't you go ahead and at least let our audiences uh, know who you are and and what your involvement was with, uh, with the movie
2: Bobby, you go first.
3: No, you go first because you started it. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> well, uh, uh, my name is Kim Dawson, and I was um, I was working with Gary Proper at the time that he found the Turtle comic. We were in uh, we were in production on a couple of specials for Showtime where I used to work, and um, Gary was a uh, was a um, a manager and a promoter of live events a former uh, champion surfer from Cocoa Beach. And um, I met him while I was working at Showtime, producing uh, a a variety of things. I was in charge of most of the comedy shows there. And uh, one of the people I was covering was Gallagher, the comedian Gallagher. And Gary was managing Gallagher at the time. And I met him down in Laguna Beach, at a Laguna Beach Playhouse. Where uh, Gallagher was was going to do this um, this special, and the next thing I knew, uh, I said, "Gary, you are you the same guy that that used to work for Hobie Surfboards?" Because I had a Gary proper model when I was a kid, <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, that's me." And Gary's my same age, but he was he grew up on the streets of Cocoa Beach. He was he was emancipated, if you will, by the age of fourteen, and uh, he knew how to fight. We were like polar opposites. But somehow or another, we had this love of of um, of surfing and uh, all things related to that. And, and as a result, we uh, we went surfing the day I met him. We, we were in Laguna. We went down to San Onofre and hung out. And then we established this relationship where about a, about three or four years later, I quit Showtime and started producing Gallagher shows as well as other things for uh, various uh cable cable networks uh the disney channel and and uh hbo and showtime and so forth and um gary was touring with gallagher in between one of our productions and he was in detroit he was at the playing the fox theater and uh he went down the street as he always did and whenever he wherever he went he was going into comic book stores and looking for uh outrageous comics uh if you guys are familiar he used to he used to uh, do a lot of work with the Xenozoic tales and Cadillacs and dinosaurs and
3: scout war
2: shaman, a few other, a few other really classic, you know, kind of cult comic books. Um, And he had acquired the rights to several of those books. Um, But when he found the turtles, he called me and said, dude, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. We can make a movie out of this. Both Gary and I had had uh, wanted to make films. So I, I, I looked at the comic the next day, he sent it over by, by, FedEx to his office where I was where I, I hung out. His wife uh, Ruth Ann was there, and a guy named Gabe Sachs, who um, later went on and, and wrote a number of movies, including Diary of a Wimpy Kid. He produced um, um, a, a variety of television shows. I um, uh, have to uh, Freaks and Geeks, if you remember that show. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, he was, he was he was. He was yeah, he was our intern, and uh, Gabe looked at me and said he's he's been smoking too much pot. And I said, You're probably right. <laughs> yeah, gary Gary loved to smoke pot, but uh, he was right on with his instincts. Gary had the greatest um, sense of what what would trend next because he was always in the in the trenches with surfing and skateboarding and all those kinds of things. And he saw the turtle comic and saw it at, and, and could envision it as a feature film. Well, it took us a couple of months to negotiate the rights. We called Mirage studios and they just signed a deal with, with, um, uh, Mark Friedman from surge licensing. Uh, and Mark, uh, had uh, put a deal together with playmate toys. Even before he signed the deal, he knew that playmates was looking for a property. So Mark with the, with, um, uh, Kevin and Peter um, looked at this at this offer that we made them to option the rights, and they said, "Well, they sound like they're legit. They they really care about about the property, um, and they're not just looking for a quick buck. Rather, they we wanted to develop the project and and make it into something that was uh, iconic." Well, um, as soon as we got those rights, this was this had had to be in the fall of eighty seven. So later in the, in the later on in that year, once we had the, once we'd acquired the rights, um, I got with Bobby, who I'd known for a number of years, and um, I was driving up the San Diego freeway to to go to work, and um, Bobby lived in Long Beach, so we met at a In and Out Burger in uh, Westminster. I'll let him pick up the story from there. Bobby, hello. Bobby. Hey, Bob.
1: Bobby?
3: Uh-oh.
2: I, I don't know. I'm here. I'm, oh, here. He's I'm here.
0: here. He's here. He's um, here. Cool. Hey, oh, uh, had,
3: real quick. I'm
0: oh, no, you're good. Kim, just to give a, a sense of, of the time frame here. So this is kind of happening simultaneously, like 1987-ish. So this is before the animated series and the toy line had even launched, correct? <laughs>
2: yeah the, the the uh yes as a matter of fact it was in it was in december of eighty seven that the that the toy um was was first imagined and that we had prototypes of the toys and the press kit from playmate toys but it was um it was uh i think december of eighty seven the last week of the year when morecom and wolf Produced the five episodes of the first that first uh, turtle uh, cartoon. Okay, and Moore, and Wolf was like this this really high end animation company in Los Angeles that had a, a you know um, I can't remember their first names, but they were they were diligent month. about this des- about design <laughs> I know right about designing the characters and making sure that they were uh, authentic to. What Kevin and Peter had originally imagined. in that early cartoon series, those five episodes, um, broadcast on, on great Western television, it was in syndication, and it went all over the country. And then what they kept doing is they kept pounding it into syndication for the next five weeks, right before Toy Fair in 88. So by by Toy Fair of, of 88, um, there were, that's when they came out of the sewers and, and jumped up and did that whole thing. I don't know if, if you're familiar with the with this story, but basically Toy Fair, which takes place at the Javits Center, yeah, uh, which is now a hospital. Yeah, right? we were there for Toy Fair at this uh, Was past uh, the, the streets around there were, were um, filled with, with manhole covers, and out of one of them, they'd staged this thing where the turtles in costumes came out and oh. did the dance and, and whatnot. That was uh, that was part to the theme music that they that they'd produced for the Morikami and Wolfen. Well, they were the sensation of the show that year. So, um, you know, Mark had done an amazing job by not only hooking up Playmates, but also lining up some additional licenses that would popular popularize popularize the the brand. So. By the time this toys hit the store in June of that year, because the the timing mm-hmm. of of giving the book uh, away for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh, <okay>. well,
0: <laughs> I'm uh, writing everything
2: uh, down. Well,
1: what
3: the, it's
2: great. He uh, he lost What are you <do> Jesus? <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. By June, by June, the uh, the toy was was popular because that's when kids get out of school. That's when they when they release toys. It's uh, it's a yeah you know, everybody knows that Bobby, who, if you're in the toy business. Okay. I know. All right. So, um, but by that time, um, you know, Bobby was working on the script. I, I had actually moved to to Orlando to produce the Mickey mouse club by in May of that year of 88. And Bobby was writing away and writing away. And, um, and it took us a, a, a little bit longer to put the, the movie together because the movie wasn't shot okay, until time the... Time
3: time out, time okay, out. go ahead.
2: Sit on the bench for a minute. Okay. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All
3: right, Bobby.
1: So, it's your turn. I, I,
3: Tapping you in. So to answer your question, Kim came to me. I was writing a movie for Golden Harvest. Kim knew that. And called the Park Store Comedy. And Kim came to me and said, I want... At the In and Out Burger, and we did Ninja Turtle stuff, and he said, "You know, you're working for the company that needs they can make this movie because they got the best martial arts guys in the world because they did the Bruce Lee, Jack Chan movies, okay." And so I looked at the stuff, said this is really cool, and then and now to get for the timeline for you guys, it was already on TV at that time, okay? Maybe it been on a few months, so it was building an audience which was key to the whole thing. So, cause our boss was concerned. We had Howard the duck on our hands. which did not have enough built in audience. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, right. I went around Hollywood for several weeks, pitching it, went to golden harvest first, Tom Gray, the boss, he ran me out of the office. And he kept calling it Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and don't bother me with Ninja Pingen Turtles. Finish the movie. I'm paying you. Yeah. And know, we, we'd have a drink a few weeks later, and I'd run it by him into ad, ad, ad nauseum. And went all over the wallpaper the town, pitching it, was basically sniggered and lapped out of pitch meeting. Uh, calls of my agent. Uh, he had been here pitching
2: the turtle thing. Hey, Bobby. Yeah, for some reason, you're breaking up again. Well, I can't help the <laughs> Phone is the phone.
3: So anyway, I'm sorry, guys. My I'm having a phone issue. I just moved into a new house, so I'm sorry if it's breaking up. Oh mm-hmm. no, we'll, it's all good. It's fine. We'll
1: we'll fight through it. We'll, yeah. Congrats we'll,
3: on the new house. We got try you. Trying to fix it. needs to fix it. So anyway, I'll make it brief. So anyway, after three months, a couple of months, I got Tom Gray to take a meeting with Kim and I. And we sold them on the idea to uh, go forward with with, uh, trying to get the right to uh, get Kevin and Peter to agree that Golden Harvest could make the movie. And we did that and went to England and wrote it uh, because that's where Steve Barron, the director, was and then came back and um, watched it all come together. And the rest is history.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Like, so I've been doing some research too. So now the original draft that you wrote um, compared to what we ended up getting, what, what did, did a lot change? Did a little change? Was your original vision <clears throat> a little bit different than, than the direction the movie ended up going?
3: Nope. Pretty much the same, give or take a, a, some dialogue here and there. Cool. Let Kim thinks otherwise, but no. <laughs> no, I think, I worked, you know, it's, it's very, interesting. I worked hard and long with Peter and Kevin. I had to go to Northampton, North Mass, and sit with them for several weeks. Signed off on what was the story for the movie. And from there, then I went to England to write the movie with Steve Barron over my shoulder. And then that's, you know, it's pretty much what I wrote. Cool. Nice. It would take some dialogue.
0: Okay. Very
2: cool. Yeah. It, yeah, in large part, that was, that was um, you know, inspired in large part by the, the comics themselves. But what right. Bobby felt, what, what Bobby knew in his heart was that it couldn't be that dark comic that the boys had, had done originally because that wouldn't play with kids. It was fine for the cult comic, the guys who were collecting comics at the time. But the comic was a lot darker, and the cartoon had made it more more palatable for young people, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you would have found a lot of people, a lot of kids, reading that comic, the original comic, at the time. Um, it was mostly it was mostly college kids and and later high school kids who were who were buying that comic. So. Um, what bobby brought to it was a sensibility of of fun because as a stand up comic and um and writer he 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 wrote for a lot of comedians and and still does and still writes a, a lot of you know fun stuff that is it's more lighthearted than than um that but that's not to say that you abandon that we abandon the original character and tone of of those of those characters because they were Let me
3: ask you you guys a question. Is the point of your question, how much did my version change from Todd Langan's version? Is that what you want to know?
0: Um, Well, so I've, you know, I'm such a big fan of the movie, and most movies that we watch go through different versions of the script, uh, but I've never read any of the versions (laughs) of the script. So, yeah, I was just kind of wondering if there was anything that changed um, that was kind of, you know, like... Something substantial that I maybe you that. had. I'm
3: going to be very, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you guys because we've been really, you know, really on our game this week. It's been a long, wonderful, great week. We're so blessed. And if I'm a little edgy, it's because there was an article that came out that I wasn't pleased about because, um, you, the movie you see is the movie I wrote, give or take a few changes to Todd Lang and May. And, um, not gonna compare, compare what he brought to the game nor what I brought to the game. But for me, that movie started getting made when it got made for me and Kim. Okay? Yeah. There's a the lot truth. of people taking a lot of credit right now that pisses me off. Well, okay? hey, I'm we, on, we're I'm already, on my cotton pony right now.
0: Yeah, we're
1: giving you the platform. Yeah, take the, the movie, platform, because, please.
0: Please, because we you know, we've got a we've got a listener base, we, we don't pull any punches, and we uh have no skin in the game. So I I you know. You guys are the originators. You guys are the ones who made the movie. Mm-hmm.
3: It's one of our favorites right. of all time. That's so, right. and i gonna and I'm gonna tell you this. There's a lot of people that have been dismissive of Kim and I. They've given us no no cred. They've given us no pub or no pass on the back. And they and, and and that's where I am right now. I'm not happy about it and but for Kim and I and Gary Proper this thing made gets made somewhere else, but it doesn't have our touch on it. And that was the podcast we did the other day where the guy says, somebody else does that. It doesn't have you in it. That script is me. Okay. Todd right. Langan brought some really good stuff to it. Story, that story I spent weeks in Northampton sitting with Peter and Kevin. My assignment was to get them to sign off on the story for the movie, which was not an easy process because they could barely agree on the, on the same thing in the, on a given day. And I said at one point how' you ever get the comic book done okay so that story and that's why you see story by Bobby herbeck script wise right. mm-hmm. not a, not big changes cool basically the script I wrote
0: cool Got yeah it. and I love what I love about it <clears throat> um what I love about the movie itself is it you know to take something that is dark that had a kind of a cult following that was uh, like you guys said, you know, kids weren't reading it and kids were just getting introduced to it, uh, from an animated and toy platform. Um, it's, it, to me, the movie's the perfect balance of, uh, it's definitely darker in tone than the animated series, but it's not, uh, you know, it's still fun. There's a sense of wonder. Um, obviously all the Jim Henson yeah. studio stuff, uh. You know, the suits. Right. I mean, we talk about. You can appreciate
1: about, it as a kid and as an adult. I think the sensibilities yeah. kind of are a little and bit And listen,
0: I'll give you my time. for I'm born in 1984, so I saw this movie in theaters. And wh- what I loved about right. it was how different it was. Because I think the thing that you read about studios all the time is that they sometimes underestimate, uh, you know, uh, uh, the taste of a child and what a kid's going to actually want right. and what, what a kid is not right. going to want. Right. I remember being, right. you know, five years old and being like, this is this is right. the perfect film for me at this time mm-hmm. in my, my development. Right. Yeah, it's
1: like respects their intelligence right. to kind of show that authenticity right. and real life right. grit stuff, which is very cool and what I appreciated as a kid.
3: But in the in the writing in the process of writing the movie, a couple of things that were very well uh, supposedly on point. One was don't write the kids which you picked up on. Mm-hmm. But the parents were going to go to the movie. You needed to get to their level, too. It was a very delicate balance. And what helped, to me, Parsi make the movie a success when the parents came home and called their friends and said, Geez, take the kids and see the movie. It's really cute and funny. And they something <laughs> for adults That was very much part of the engineering of that script. It wasn't just the right, uh, lunch pail kids. Right. You mm-hmm. know? Right. And this had a great great anticipation by you guys, you young when you were kids. They could hardly wait to see these turtles on a movie screen. The way Steve Barron opened the movie is great because he teased you. Mm-hmm. You just got a glimpse of a manhole cover at the beginning. Then he got a silhouette of them in the sewer. All by design. The humor was, all, was brought up a level. It wasn't like to think it wasn't silly. It was pretty right on. It had some sarcasm in it. A lot of sarcasm, smart ass in it, and like Kim said yesterday, they were teenagers. You know, the, the turtles were teenagers. I suppose he's still teenagers. I guess Superman's the same age too after mm-hmm. all these years. But really, a lot of thought went into that. And as I told some uh, some people the other day, a lot of thought into the fight scenes. I looked at Star Wars. Several times, the first two, and, and picked up that George Lucas. Every battle in Star Wars had a theme behind it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, hey, we need a battle here. There was the story built up to that battle. And there was a theme for every different theme for every battle, and that was that goes. I I use that in the script with the turtles. You know, that every fight, that every fight scene, you had the lead up to it in the writing. You know, foreshadow it, and have a theme for it i mean it it served a purpose other than just watching people fight on screen what i think today i doubt that they do that they just they just absolutely like a tsunami of how how much mayhem can we create on the screen today that's
1: like power rangers the opposite of what ninja turtles was like to see just non no reason for people to be fighting that much to see ninja turtles in the movie it, it made sense it felt very real
3: no, and I and I just I just it had its nice quiet moments in it, and anyway, Kim and I are very proud of it, and and we wish Gary was here. the, the, the just we're blessed in the think that 30 years later this still have some waybos on it is pretty amazing in our business. It doesn't happen very often. No. And th- what's, what's and now the little kid now for you, I meet somebody. So, oh, my four year old son loves the movie, loves the turtle. It doesn't stop. It's great.
0: Well, it, for one thing, I mean, there's been so many iterations of the, of the movie or the Ninja Turtles, multiple animated series. They've tried to with the, you know, the, the Michael Bay movies and everything. And you really can't hold a candle. Like we're, we're fans of the first three, Um, but really the, the first one is, is, is beyond special. Um, one thing that really, you know, we talk all the time, we all have our favorite turtles in, 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 you know, either from a producing standpoint or a writing standpoint, approaching the the different characters and the way they played off each other. You've got four very unique uh, personalities. Um, and, and that's kind of established, you know, in the comics and in the animated series as well. Um, but I mean, you can't, how do you not love Raphael in this movie?
3: hmm Yeah, and then somebody was, who, yeah, was it, someone asked about Raffy yesterday, uh, his personality, they, was it Rafi he pointed out?
2: Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: He, he said, well, how did you get Raffy?" or he was kind of, you know, modeling and kind of the one that was you know kind of a manic depressive and this and that <laughs> I said it's just a mix of dysfunctional friends you know mm-hmm. everybody's got you know their their own cross to bear And th- that was the beauty of it, it Was the, they were three dimensional ca- they are three dimensional characters not right. a big fan of my, what Michael Bay's on and I speak for Kevin Eastman too mm. I asked Kevin about <laughs> it uh, last not November and okay. not in most people most people prefer the first movie rightfully so that's usually the case in any movie where there's sequels and most of the people prefer the ninja turtles the first set of them not the set they're scary looking they look like they're transformers with zika virus heads like the size of a grapefruit (laughs) 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 the whole thing and he doesn't care
2: huh (laughs) well well, you know i i think that that uh the cool thing about the turtles is that the the four personalities and splinter represent a, a, a range of personalities that kids can identify with. So, you know, a lot of times you, we hear questions, who's your favorite turtle? And, you know, I, I always relate back to Mikey because Mikey looks, I mean, he's he is a reflective of, of uh, Bobby's personality, but very much like Gary too. Gary was a party animal. And, and um, you know, it's sort of like that. But, I you know, there's every one of them has has elements of their personality that you feel like you could relate to. Leo and Donnie both have both have things and their fighting styles were different, too. So as a result, you kind of get, you know, uh, you get you get a little bit of everything uh, in, in the mix. And I think that's what but uh, probably made it appeal to a broad swath of, of audience.
3: Yeah. It's just one over the earth, people When people find out that I wrote the movie, they, they absolutely, they make you blush because they almost go over the top with it. It's cool. They go, no, no, well, get out of here. But they always ask me who my favorite turtle is, and I say all
2: of them.
1: uh uh-huh.
2: Yeah, so that, that, that's my answer. Everybody has their favorite. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a Donatello I learned, fan. I think Jake life
1: life. based his life off of Raphael. <laughs> still the biggest fan
2: who's of his. Your, Who's your favorite?
1: My favorite is Donatello. Mine's I was a definitely. fan of the color purple and okay. also like doing tech stuff seemed cool as a the kid. The movie, The Color Purple? I <laughs> no, a huge... No, yeah, yeah, no, no,
3: but, <laughs> no but listen. <laughs> listen I, would tell, I was just going to say, I didn't realize for the last few years... How many? And I'm not a chauvinist, I'm really not. I'm a gentleman. I'm not a chauvinist, so I was raised better. But uh, I've been blown away by how many young ladies, girls yeah. back then, were you Ninja Turtle fans. Uh, it wasn't yeah. just all guys.
1: I had a brother. I played and with my brother's friends. Most of
3: friends. them like Donatello. Yeah. Most of them purple. They yeah. like Donatello. Yeah. 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 He's also sensitive. He's sweet.
1: Sensitive. I'd be scared of Rafael. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It makes the most sense.
3: Yeah, Jake yeah.
0: everybody who yeah. listens to Yes Have Some podcasts knows that Jake is the embodiment of Raphael.
3: And might storm off in the middle
0: of an episode.
4: <laughs> he's, he's left
3: episode. Um, you got to watch them. Keep you got to keep the sharp objects away from him. Them and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just allow them one bone a day. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. Um, That's all they give me. But you know what's really special about the movie and the thing that struck me as a kid and and now when I watch it is like it's not just the turtles. Like all the characters are great. Um, Splinter's great. Uh, Shredder like is legitimately scary like to me like I was not a Star Wars fan growing up Shredder was my Darth Vader specifically from right. this movie the first introduction to him right. when when you see the shadow of his cape uh coming down like the way that that's shot um it's legitimately right. scary it's scary as hell right. so um right. so you know that that's and that's my perspective There's and
3: I question. think yeah, there's something very uh, mysterious and scary. I lived in Okinawa as a kid. I'm I'm a Air Force brat, and I could remember seeing the Asian guys over there, the the Okinawan guys with the, uh, you know a bandana over their face, right? Right. And they wore like a you know a little like a do rag over their head. It's something very and that probably goes back to my childhood something very menacing about seeing a face covered by anything but the eyes you go, I don't want to do it that first.
0: Hey everybody, Craig back with you real quick before we get to the rest of the interview with Kim and Bobby. By the way, I really like these guys. This is a fun one. Uh, Love TMNT 1990. It's really great getting a chance to talk about it. We're going to get back to that in just a minute, but I want to tell everybody right now, listen, we're all stuck inside. We're all looking for stuff to do and I want to make sure that everybody's listening. To my personal favorite podcast The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Cross Trip This is not a paid advertisement This is a friend advertisement I love Troy and I love Chris Great friends of Yes Have Some And they've been doing this for a very long time Let's face it Ghostbusters is in a weird place right now Again, the movie has been delayed Until March of 2021 You're going to need that weekly dose Of Ghostbusters news And there's no better place to get it than from Chris and Troy. I promise you, I'm trying to make this not sound like a paid ad, but I got my paid ad voice going. So I'm just going to say, find them on iTunes, find them wherever you get your podcasts. Join me every Monday morning in listening to the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip, hosted by Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart of Proton Charging and Ghostbusters HQ fame. You will not be disappointed. All right, we are going to get back to Kim and Bobby right now Picking up talking about Sam Rockwell and his Appearance in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 here we go
2: That's pretty drippy Yeah he was the uh, He was the the head of the Of the teenage yeah. gang
3: <laughs>
2: He was the head of the Teenage gang that w- worked for the foot uh, Not that. Danny but rather The uh, And um it was on that film that he made, he met Leif Tilden and, and Leif played uh, Donatello and, uh, and, uh, also Josh Payas. Josh, Paius, Josh, Josh Paius. Paius. And they, and they, uh, Leif and, and uh, and, uh, Sam were partners or, uh, uh, roommates rather for years. And, uh, they still remain great friends and, and, uh, one of the things we were planning on doing this summer, it's looking less and less like it's going to happen in July was Comic-Con. And, and our panel was going to include the three of those guys, Bobby and I, and, and, um, uh, uh, Brian Henson, because, you know, Brian was the chief puppeteer and, uh, also the, the second unit director. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really Brian and, and, um, and Steve Barron who convinced, uh, Jim, to do the picture because Jim was, Jim was not not wired like, like Brian, Jim was, was very anti-violence and all that. And it was, it was more, um, the, the kind of the, 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 the subtle parts of the personalities and what the, and what the turtles were meaning in terms of, uh, teen power, you know, empowerment and all that sort of thing, which was, you know, uh, sort of new at the time. But, um, Jim uh, Jim was worked on by Steve and and Brian, uh, and then when he finally capitulated and said, "Yeah, okay, I'll do it," that changed the whole picture uh, completely. Because up until that point, um, Peter and Kevin were were very concerned about the how the picture was going to look because the the costumes that were that were originally thought of to be done in in Hong Kong <laughs> were were cheap and they just weren't they weren't, they weren't going to be the same. If you remember that television show that, um, that Saban did later on, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. it was more, it was much more like those kinds of costumes where gotcha. they didn't have the money to produce the, the kind of, uh, sophisticated animatronics that Jim could bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And you know, what they did in, in, in the creature shop was nothing sort of uh, short of remarkable. Um, it, they were they were uh you know there were two sets of turtles there was the stunt turtles which w- were able to and the, the outside looked the same the 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 shell and the and the the rubbers the, almost looked it was built pretty much the same materials but the the stunt guys could move very easily and they were nimble whereas the the talking turtles were much more sophisticated costumes. They had they weighed about seventy pounds as opposed to twenty pounds because they had all the motors under the shell, all the servos that that moved the eyes and the mouth and the ears and all that all that movement that you see in their faces was that animation was was a result of Jim's genius and of course all the engineers and and uh, and designers in the Creature Shop itself, which was. You know probably accounted for a third of the budget of the movie at the end of the day because they were so uh, well first of all they when they got to North Carolina they broke uh, It was so hot in those studios in um, in uh, North Carolina and Wilmington uh, there was no air conditioning on these stages and because we we had a pretty limited budget, and as a result, you, you, they didn't have they they went for the cheapest place. And uh, Henson insisted that we be somewhere on the East Coast because he didn't want to be flying to Hong Kong, at where where Golden Harvest had its stages. Golden Harvest had done all the Jackie Chan movies and all the Bruce Lee films early on, and. The, you know they had the they had the stunt actors who could do all the karate moves and all the ninja moves, but they didn't have the actors, and they did certainly didn't have the infrastructure that that uh, Jim needed in order to create those costumes. So those those the talking turtle costumes were full of uh, electronics, servos that were operated by joysticks and uh, and uh, other remote control devices. And when they, when it got super hot on those stages and the, and the uh, actors were sweating inside them, their body temperature was probably, you know, 110. They, they were, it was so hot. It was like unbearable and the sweat and all of that, the the cooling system inside the, inside the costumes wasn't working. And they just fried. Um, so uh, more often than not, the, the, Later in the afternoons, in the days, the the costumes broke and we had to sit and wait for him to come back to uh, life, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It's like those costumes, there's so many ways that there's so many subtleties. And even really, you see it, the difference between the first movie costumes and then the second and third movie. Like you really can't beat that first movie. And the comparison I always make is like, the first Jurassic park where there's been like six Jurassic park movies since then. But for some reason, that first one, it, it still feels the like best. The ass, it's like they, That's right. Yeah. And, right. And, and you know, it was a combination of obviously um, uh, computer visual effects and, and uh, the, the real but it's world. Also, it's
3: also, it's also the first time you, you see it, that it, you see all that on the screen, like the turtles. Right. Mm-hmm. Huge. I said earlier, huge anticipation from the kids. To see what these guys were going to look like on the, on a movie screen, you know, in, as opposed to the animated show. And I mean, it was like, I was at the theater. We, so was camera, just great. And you could just see him on the edge of their seat. And I said earlier, I just love the way Steve Barron teased the audience at the beginning and me, by the way, <laughs> because I saw the rough cut. I saw the rough cut at golden. And I said to Tom Gray, I said, God, I mean, I love the way he just strung it out because it was like, there they are, and then they were gone. Yeah. Right. You know, wasn't it Raffy? Was Raffy the first scene? Raff, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. because he, he lost, lost all his side. First you saw the weapons bounce off the building when April was being accosted. And then you saw him lift the lid, and the police light strobe off his face, and then the lid goes back down the manhole cover and you go. Wow it just was really well done And, and then I he says the he goes damn. He
1: Yeah he says damn And Jake probably <laughs> yeah. had the best moment of his life as yeah, a child when he I
0: I always I always tell the story that like I remember when I was a kid watching that, and when Raphael says "damn," I remember thinking like yeah. he's gonna get
2: trouble for saying. I remember being like, <laughs> "I cannot believe <laughs> he I did, just said
3: that." He get his mouth washed out with turtle wax. <laughs> right.
1: He sets the bar for the movie you know, though, because like right. from then on, it's just like, "Oh, he I went, didn't expect this to happen."
0: And really, with that movie, one like, of my, no, go for it, go
3: for it. No, so one of my favorite lines when they bring April down. To the sewer and then she's passed out and they look at the uh, splinter and say can we keep her i just love that that had all kinds of connotations right exactly right and keep, keep, her, keep her and what Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: well here's the thing yeah. most of the the best movies of all time that are aimed at kids there's 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 usually multiple levels to to every piece of dialogue oh yeah so there's adult you
1: sensibilities know. yeah
0: I remember my parents when we saw the Lion King as a kid, I remember my parents specifically being like talking about how there, there's obviously the movie's made for kids, but there's thematic elements through, through the dialogue and the story that have uh, more of a mass appeal. Um, and I think that this movie specifically really has that. Um, but as far as like the opening scene and that tease, you know, the, the poster, the soundtrack, everything about it is like, literally imprinted on my brain like i could watch i could close my eyes and watch the movie if i wanted to um, that's cool and that's uh cool. not not that many Ours people too. have the experience of of being involved in in something that has like uh, an effect on pop culture like that mm-hmm. so it's really awesome for you guys
3: we had no idea i mean we had an idea but not the, to this length and this size and hats off to of peter and kevin for coming up with the character's and then everybody just everybody just pooled their talents and uh, came up with everybody. just We hear it all the time. First movie was the best movie. I go yeah. online. First movie was the best
2: movie. But, and, you know, it was like Murphy's Law in a lot of ways because what could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, because as Bobby said, you know, the movie almost didn't get made because um, 20th Century Fox, Tom Gray at Golden Harvest had used to work for 20th Century Fox. So he went there to sell the foreign rights and they were going to do the domestic as well with the idea that um that uh they could they could handle the distribution. And Leonard Goldberg was still in charge of the studio at that time. He liked it and he liked Tom and that's that's where it was going to be released. But Leonard Goldberg, who you you can still see his name actually in television, he's the executive producer of uh, that blue blood show that Tom Selleck does. Okay. He's gotta be a hundred years old. <laughs> I swear. But but um I think Very, he's on Get Smart. Well,
1: I know <laughs> Get
3: Smart. I do. I think his name is on Get Smart. smart. That's
2: smart. How, oh, it probably is. Part of my
1: history. Yeah, he's
2: he's uh, but regardless, when he, when, uh, when he got fired, uh, Barry Diller took over and Barry Diller didn't want anything to do with what was on the slate. So he wiped it clean. And, and the first thing he cut was the turtle film because he didn't believe in it at all. And, um, and Tom, you know, I, I remember him calling us and saying, he called Bobby and said, you know, take a few days off. And he called me and said, we got trouble. And I well, and he explained what had happened. And the proviso from Raymond Chow was that there had to be a, a domestic distribution deal in place, or the movie would not get made. And he was willing to walk away from what the money he had spent, which was costumes and set construction at that point, and some of the guarantees that were in place, because and we're only like six weeks out from the from the start of production. Um, and so Tom, you know scrambled. He went back and, and examined all the people that we had pitched it to and including, um, uh, new line and new line was re- by Bob Shea new line at that point was distributing, uh, the Freddie movies, the Friday, the 13th movies. I have a story about and, that real quick. Uh,
0: I was deathly afraid of Freddie Krueger as a child and I'll never forget sitting in the theater and seeing the new line logo. Uh, uh, Uh And in front of Ninja Turtles, and immediately becoming hesitant because I associated like the the, the new line cinemas, uh, the uh, you know, that logo
3: with with Freddy Krueger. Yeah, interesting. Well, I guess you (laughs) you know. Uh sorry. I, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that one. Bobby. I said it's like hearing the Jaws thing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: The new line cinemas logo is my John Williams two yeah. notes at the beginning of Jaws. Um, I don't know what that says about me. Um, well, listen, guys. I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, the 30th anniversary and what you guys are doing as far as the book and the documentary. I, I love, you know, we're we're supposed to be at San Diego Comic Con as well. Uh, we were at Toy Fair. We're, we're doing a lot of stuff for the podcast now. And uh, I, I, man, I it would be really great if 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 you know all the world's problems uh, were solved tomorrow, we could all be at a Comic Con because the the mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell reunion. That sounds
3: great.
1: That sounds yeah. I couldn't. Well,
3: believe I that. don't listen. I'm, I'm more positive than others. I, I, WonderCon, we had a shot at. Obviously, we knew that was going to get shot down. But I don't. Comic Con's not off the the calendar
2: yet, and I and I don't think it's going to be off the calendar. So I love that. The reason, yeah. the reason why I, I hope you're right, Bobby. But they canceled Wimbledon yesterday, so. It was about the same. Well, it's about two or three weeks earlier. Yeah. But we'll see. Because even if it does get pushed, it'll get pushed. I don't think I, there's so much fan interest that it, it, it'll it'll arrive someplace. We know that uh, whether it's Comic Con or some of these other cons that are that are out there, we're we're going to end up. Um, our our goal was to tour um, from Comic Con all the way through the end of the year, and to also hook up some screenings of the movie and other things. You know, there have been individual screenings of the film. I think there was one up in New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago that uh, one of the early artists uh, promoted. Uh, And for the last few years, apparently, in Los Angeles, there's a guy who's been Cody something, who's been screening the movie for um, the fans in L.A. Last year, they had a 1,000 people come many of whom dressed up in in costumes and they have they play the original score with a live band and that's that's the coolest now bobby's friends with mc hammer and and whatnot so we were going to bring back a few of those people to make it even more um you know of of a celebration yeah. and if it gets pushed by a month or two it doesn't really matter because i think the fans will still come of course they um, yeah. will
0: i hope you so, guys know yeah. and you have to know but like we're we're big collectors so we collect art prints and action figures and that movie the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie has inspired there's so many artists who who do their own interpretations yeah. of that movie i don't know if you've seen the uh neca action figures they're doing these incredible yep. uh-huh. likenesses and we have them all. you know we've got them all obviously um but it <laughs> and it's interesting because it's not even uh you can't even call it a cult following it's more it's it's a it's actually like a pop culture phenomenon mm-hmm. where it doesn't surprise right. me that a thousand people show up mm-hmm. and you could totally yeah. you know tour the movie and and you're going to have uh, a yeah. very engaged audience
1: yeah i think so
3: i've got uh, listen Need that. Now, Kim, maybe more than, than I am, but I I avoided Facebook like the coronavirus all these years. I just didn't want to get into that. Someone I got on it several years ago. I came back to my office. I had 150 strangers in my life and going, who are these people? But we have this wonderful group of guys um, out of Cocoa Beach. Uh, tell them the
2: name of the company, Kim. It's called, it's called Beachside Media. Yeah, um, guys are you know, guys we. We talked about, we talked about, uh, Gary proper and, uh, Gary passed away about a year and a half ago, no, March 15th of 2019. Uh, suddenly he was, uh, uh, Gary in his spare time, which was a lot of the time was an artist and he lived in Cocoa beach and, uh, he, we had lived down, uh, uh cause when I moved to Florida, we, we went to the East Coast, but Gary and I, Gary had said, you know, if, you, if you're going to surf in Florida, there's only one place to surf, which is in Sebastian Inlet. And Sebastian Inlet is uh, one of the most pristine beaches in all of Florida, maybe in, in all the United States, because it's, they had a restriction on, um, on building because, because there's so many sea turtles that lay their eggs on the beach. Right, so it was it was literally the turtle beach, and when when we first moved there, um, it was it was magical because from May or from uh, after, actually April through September, turtles would come in, they'd lay their eggs, and then they'd hatch all summer long, and it was like the most remarkable thing. So. Um, when Gary passed away, it was like, oh my God, it's just, it's just, it was unreal because we, uh, we were planning a whole bunch of stuff, not just for this year, but other things as well. And, um, unfortunately much of his art disappeared when he died. We don't, we don't know where it was, the stuff that he'd done that was stepping on the turtles. Cause he, Gary was a collage artist who always, he, he would take a picture of, of uh, uh some famous person and then he would step on it with his art with painting and 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 words and stuff like that very eclectic kind of stuff but so uh when he passed away we had this idea that we would continue to honor his his memory by bringing back some of the stuff and that's that's he was working with with this group down in Cocoa beach called beachside media craig harriman and uh Craig and he you know, th- produced a bunch of surf contests together. Craig is a is a former um, Marine who served in the Special Forces in the Marines, and uh, he got badly injured in Iraq a few years ago. And then as a result, he, when he moved back to Cocoa Beach, he just said, "I'm going to do things that that I like to do." So he he uh, started promoting surf contests for veterans. And, uh, the one we were going to have a big Easter contest, which was always Gary's favorite contest. Obviously that got canceled, but, um, uh, you know, it'll come back next year and, and it'll be bigger than ever. But, uh, the, the whole idea was that, you know, that if you, if you want, kalabunga uh, is a surf term, that's where it came from. It came out of surf culture in the, in the sixties. Um, and, uh, you know the 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 whole idea of of uh, that surf element or that surf skate element was very much inspired. Yeah, I remember we had a meeting, Bobby, you and I, with Gary up at Gallagher's house in the valley, <laughs> and cool. I the, I think I think there was probably some pot being smoked. I can't tell, I can't tell oh, you by whom. Oh home. really? <laughs> <laughs> well, Watermelon bottom but bottom. it got. <laughs> It got, you know, the, the, uh, but it it was so much fun. And, uh, I think that, that, uh, uh, Gary's all Gary's surf culture shit came out. There's no question about it. And, and Bobby picked up on that big time because it was, it was, uh, you know, a lot of it is subtle because uh, surfers are are you know, sometimes they're in your face, but uh, uh, not so much with Gary. He he you know he didn't he didn't um, well he was braggadocia, I must say he he he, he because Gary was the first guy to um, monetize his personality in the surf world. I remember uh, talking to Jerry Lopez about it, and if you guys know of surfing, you know who Jerry Lopez is, m- multi-time world champion. And they were all—all all, all these guys were in awe of Gary because he would turn down opportunities to um, to appear in movies or, or whatever because they weren't—he wasn't going to get paid. It was and, off
3: course here.
2: Yeah, the question. Oh, was, I mean, I was trying to lead you
3: guys. Sorry, because they only have so much time that these social media guys put us on the map last couple of weeks, right? We were on in Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook it was not part of my life. And it's all new to me. And I'm blown away by the people out there that are Turtle fans. I, I, I would like to venture a guess. I don't know what you guys, the big, big fans, and you're very involved in. I'd, I'd like you to venture a guess with me. How many people, what do you roughly think? What Do you think the audience is how, how many thousands of people do you think
0: just for 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 who for us or the potential for for you
3: guys for you well, how how big is the turtle world do you think
0: it's let me it's put on it the way.
3: Fan base. It's
1: I listen. It's, I think it's on par with Star Wars it, 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 it's as, representation as, is in all stores I think I'm
0: stumbling over my words yeah. to trying to figure this out it's huge it's it's millions of people because it, you have different levels. Yeah. You've got the hardcore fans, yeah. which are the people that we appeal to—the mm-hmm. people that are going to buy the toys, watch the movie, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Regularly talk about. We 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 sit around and talk about Turtles and Secret of the Ooze like they just came out, like they're up for Oscars. Mm-hmm. But we we discuss them like yeah. that. Um, but but <laughs> cool. what what's great about a property like Ninja Turtles is that it's generational. It's and you guys touched on that, you know, there's four and five year old kids who watch the cartoons now who are going back and discovering the movies because right. you know we, none of us have kids to share it with, but we, we're big kids, so that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah, those generations right.
1: right. touch different different generations and then they all connect over it. But the it's thing is cool. if
0: you know all three movies are streaming on Netflix right now, and everybody in the world is at home. So there's people probably just watching them for the first time and discovering them yeah and then you've got a casual fan base and uh so yeah the the it's a limitless reach and let me tell you guys this too before we wrap up the the hunger in the collector community for limited edition uh merchandise and you know you guys are putting on a book you know signings and and movie screenings and limited edition posters like there is a a world of opportunity from a business standpoint because you guys have a story to tell And you're, you're still passionate about it. And, and, and people like us and people who listen to our show or follow us on Instagram, Mm -hmm. they're, they're also going to be interested in, in the story. Yeah. Hungry for the backstory and all the little tidbits. Yeah. And that's how I found you guys on Instagram, just on the, we, we made a a post the other day for the 30th anniversary of just the VHS cover. And that's how I got hooked up with Kim. Um, So social media just opens up uh, uh, an entire world of of opportunity.
3: Yeah. I was I just wonder what, what kind of a reach we were gonna get and I'm I'm overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. Well you, you know? guys deserve it. It's this so, is really it, cool. It's
3: so cool. It's
0: yeah. really cool. Well listen, we will we'll uh you know, we'll have to connect again. Hopefully, you know, the, the stuff will start calming down and you guys can start really getting out there and doing the screenings and doing, you know, getting yeah. the book put out. Yeah. Uh, where where can people find you now on on Instagram and everything? Where, where's the best, peop, uh, place peop, blah, best place for people? The best place for people to go. I can talk.
3: For me, I, I just think it's. Um, I don't even know what they've got. It's at
2: TMNT uh, writer, and I'm at TMNT producer. Oh, okay. I'm also
3: Bobby Herbeck. I'm at TMNT. TMT or something. I don't know. It's gotcha. cool. crazy. Cool. It's, it's, and what we'll do is we'll... we'll I think you can just put our name in, but I'm just getting around because I just moved here to Arizona, so I'm just getting my feet on the ground and starting to answer some of these people like doing stuff that I see. It's not for lack of interest, it been lack of time, but I'm determined to start answering people. It's just great things out there about us, which is just very really different thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean I think I honestly think the the you know for a movie like this celebrating a 30th anniversary, you know, it, it brings people out and there's people who who probably haven't thought about it in a long time and they're they're rediscovering it. So, um we'll we'll make sure to link to all of your guys stuff <laughs> and uh yeah, just congratulations appreciate and appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. keep it up and we'll uh The the one question I do, this is the question everybody wants to know, and I know you guys don't have an answer, uh, but I would love to get your opinion on it. Do you think there's a chance going forward that they'll ever go backwards and and try to recapture the original franchise using the, you know, obviously updated but modified Henson style suits? And uh, because I feel like right now that nostalgia, the next five years is the time to do it. Otherwise, you're going to kind of miss the boat.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that the the guy who runs Nickelodeon, Brian Robbins, uh, may, may be open to that idea. I think they've they've sent a lot of money into the new cartoon, which is, is is, is in my opinion, not as good as the old because they're, they're so I don't know, they're there's they're more coming in, Wolf Hand drew those sure. cartoons you know so, there's those animations and they're well and you know when you've when you've created like 600 episodes it's hard not to be silly right, but yeah. the but i do think that there's an opportunity for a throwback turtle thing where you where we could bring back the the those costumes um yeah. you know the fact is that um, you never know. There's there's all sorts of opportunities in in the in this uh, new world of technology. There's a guy at, at Paramount that that I'm familiar with who is called the futurist, but he's a he's a throwback kind of guy. He he's really high end technology, but he's also got, you know doing immersive VR and and AR kind of stuff. But he's also firmly rooted in the past, and he's a big yeah. fan. So you you never know we're going to, we're going to pursue it. I think that there's some, there's some rationale to, to bring it back and bring back the sensibility of those characters, particularly, and I'll end with this. My sense of the characters was that what Bobby did in writing the words that he did and in setting up the scenes, the way he did was to create opportunities for the, for the turtle characters to interact with one another in very human ways. So that they're, they they really did represent uh teenage anxiety and, ter- and personalities and all that stuff and the way the movie was staged and produced with um these characters inside the suits who had to react to one another and they also had to be in sync with the with the puppeteers and with the director and with this with the script supervisor everybody had headsets on and they were all talking at the same time all in sync with one another, and I think that shows through that the that the characters actually, you know, they felt like they're really interacting with one another. Whereas with uh, with CGI characters, that's not the case. You know, you just you're yeah. Those act, guys the all got
3: along. Those guys got along too.
2: Oh yeah, totally.
3: Yeah. totally. Real quick, guys, real quick. So, yep. if I may, um, you're the third person to bring that up in an interview with us, and it's interesting that uh, why not go back and rehash this a bit and the, and I've learned when I go talk to people I'm asked to speak sometime about the turtle this whole thing I, I always uh, part of my subtext is don't accept no because I got a lot of no's it's, it's a typical Hollywood story a lot of people really thought I was uh, weird and I'm smoking pot and this is bullshit and to not give up and timing is what I get going for here, and it, you, you never know. With all the with, with the thrust that we've gotten this last several days, it, it might be if we time it right. It, maybe it could happen. I mean, a lot of people would like to see that. What you're asking, you know? To, yeah, go I mean, back.
0: there's there's ways to do it. I mean, I was just like have them time travel to 2020 and have those same characters living, you know, dealing with yeah. the world mm-hmm. of today. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know
3: kind of be kind of funny to have Michael Bates meet the ones from before oh
0: yeah, yeah. They're like a multiverse <laughs> oh, why yeah. not oh they would help yeah. hate each other
1: I can't wait yeah.
3: we'll listen yeah. guys yeah
1: thanks for the advice too that we'll was see. really thoughtful
0: I appreciate your guys team uh i'm 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 excited for what you're doing and we will uh we will help spread the word and hopefully down the road we'll connect Thank you, again buddy. and uh we'll Thank uh, you all
3: and we will Bless you for being such good fans, man. Without you guys, this is history. This is nothing. True. And you you true. keep it alive, which is really cool.
0: Absolutely. Hey, we'll we'll talk to you guys soon. Stay stay, stay safe, stay healthy. Yeah, we hope stay we,
1: busy.
0: Stay busy. And uh, we'll, keep writing. We'll connect later. Yeah. Thank wash, you guys. Wash your hands.
3: Yeah. Wash your hands and your pun Okay. Oh, wash <laughs> your hands.
0: <laughs> That is good advice. Okay. I like it. that. Get All, right. All right, guys. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Uh-huh. All, right, Bye. All right. There you have it. Bobby Herbeck, Kim Dawson. Thank you so much for joining us on Yes, Have Some Podcast. Really love what those guys are doing. It's so cool that TMNT 1990 is celebrating 30 years. And it's awesome that the producers and the writer are involved and they uh, are are kind of recapturing their own love and putting a lot of hard work into it. They're going to have a book. They're going to have a documentary. And uh, once all this stuff clears up, they're going to be out on tour. And I'm going to go see them. I want to meet those guys. They they've got war stories, and I love it. Uh, but mostly, it's just cool to 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 hear uh, the perspective of the people that were there when the movie was getting made. And uh, we're happy to be able to you know help facilitate some of those conversations. So. I want to make sure everybody checks them out on Instagram. You can find them at TMNT Writer and at TMNT Producer. And then they've launched a page specifically to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the movie. TMNT Movie 1990. Give them a follow. See what they've got going on. They're running contests. They're interacting with the fans. And I really like both those guys. Super appreciative That they took a few minutes to talk with everybody for this little bonus episode of Yes Have Some Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for the support. Keep tuned in. We got more coming, and we will see you next week. Bye.
3: That's what we do. Everybody in the party, everybody in the crew, we get up and then get hyped. You know what time it is when the hammer's on the mic, so move to the hype of the night. The crowd is getting busy and the feeling is right. What's that? Pump it up party. i with me. I ain't cool. You got school, I'm running things where you wanna rule. The nineties are mine. It's a hammer review. You wanna know how? Just watch what I do. I do, I do, I do. Y'all through busting your bubble? That's what we do.